0: Hey everyone, so this is part B of the two-part episode that we have this week. Uh, so the way we had recorded things, we kind of jump right into Northwestern here. So uh, right after I get done talking here, we're going to jump right into where we were at in the episode. And then we will end this episode with our usual shout-outs and listener questions section. So enjoy! You know, Northwestern next Saturday up there at the Boltman Center uh, always a tough place to play they seem to to fill that gym up they've had a lot of local supporters from the community who fill that gym up for those games it's always a, a really you know fun place as a spectator to go watch a game just because it's it's good uh, intense loud college basketball um, you know so Northwestern uh, is six and four this year they're one and two. Uh, in the conference, they've lost a couple games to uh, Morningside and Dakota Wesleyan, so not bad losses, but uh, you know they're they're you know used to probably a little bit faster start than what they're doing this year. Uh, so what are you seeing out of the Northwestern squad this year?
1: Well, first, you know they're just a different team than they've been the last couple years. Um, the last couple years, they had a couple guards who were just outstanding players and, and led them to a lot of success, and, and they graduated. jeez, I don't even know. Maybe. 35, 4,000 points in their senior class a year ago. So they're, they're plugging in some new pieces. I think they're pretty talented. Um, I think they're playing fast. They're scoring a lot of points. Uh, they're a team that, again, they're going to have our respect because of what they've done traditionally, because of what this rivalry has been. Um, and, and again, and like I said with DW, we played some pretty crazy games with Northwestern, too. You know, I look back to a couple years ago, we both won big at the other's place. You know, that doesn't happen a whole lot. In, the, in this league, it's hard to win on the road. And uh, for both of us to win big on the other's floor, that just kind of tells you that, well, number one, we both had pretty good teams. But it's just kind of a, a goofy deal in the G Pack sometimes. So it's, it's a game that, that I think our guys look forward to. It's a fun environment to play in. Uh, it's close enough that, uh, that we get a lot of fan support up there, too. I've always been blown away at, at the, the Briarcliff crowd that we
2: have up there.
0: Jay, what were some of the more memorable Briarcliff Northwestern <laughs> <laughs> matchups when you were playing up there?
2: Oh, man, we, we had several. So when I, I – I was a junior when Coach Nackie – last game of Coach Nackie's – I was there for Coach Nackie's last game. Um, so that's always kind of memorable. I mean, there was a big ceremony beforehand. Coach Barry gave him some wooden shoes. Um, the, the crowd started chanting, sit down right before the game even started. Um, just as an – you know, let's just get it out of the way at the beginning. Um, and then we ended up winning that game um, – I would say we won maybe by 10, 12 points, something like that. Um, and I think we shot like 40-some free throws, and they shot like two. Um, Coach Comstock at South Sioux will still give you the f- – he knows the actual numbers because he was playing on for Briar clip back there, but that was kind of memorable to be there for uh, Coach Nacky's last game. And then the next year, uh, we played against each other in the season opener, um, and that would have been like Stacey Castle, DJ Dunbar. Um, we went up beating him two out of three times um, that year, beat him that first game like 100 to 98 or something, uh, beat him again like – 102 to 90 something and played a third time because that year Westmar closed. So all of a sudden all these teams lost games. And so uh, we ended up playing Sioux Falls three times and Briarcliff three times because they both were going to play Westmar. We were going to play Westmar, so we all just – so we've playing them three times. And we played here in a, like a middle January game. Um, it went double overtime. We ended up losing in double overtime. Uh, one of those games, it was just, I mean, the place was packed. It might have even been the Barcliffe homecoming. It was just packed in here that day. Um, that's the one I probably remember. I actually got in that game because I had to foul at the end. Um <laughs> It's all about knowing your role, boys. Um, I came back to an alumni game one year, and we were close enough in the alumni game that they put me at the end of foul. They knew my role even at an alumni game. No, you go into foul. Okay. Um, I, I probably led the nation in most fouls per minutes played. Um, but uh, it was a fantastic game here in that environment. I remember uh, DJ Dunbar started that game with a dunk, and there's a picture in the paper, and his knee was about in John Hardison's face. He was that high, dunking the ball. Uh, Stacy Castle hit a shot right at the end to send it to overtime. Um, we had chances. They had chances. I remember Ben Gerlman hit a three. To send it to the second overtime from the, I mean, on that far end and the wing. I mean, it was just a fantastic, fantastic game. And that game was always, I mean, the people in Orange City, man, that was. You got up for the Briarcliff game. That was a big one. Um, and I remember coming back. I taught at South when my first, when I graduated college, I taught I made sure to come back for the Briarcliff games the next year. Like, you put that on your schedule, and I'm coming back for those games. You didn't miss the Briarcliff-Northwestern game back then. So um, so there were some big ones, like I said. Um, being there for Coach Nackie's last game, um, Coach Beard's first game, um, some of the great players they had running through there at the time. So uh, it was a lot of fun. I know the my junior, Tori Wingert, um, Ben Jd great players, um, great high school players at Heelan and Garrigan. Um, Man, they had some some really talented guys there. Um, Fortunately, we won quite a few. Well, I don't know, fortunate. I'm not sure which side of this coin I'm on right now. Um, As a player, fortunately, we won some of those. Um, The loss here in that double overtime game, I think, really ended up in us knocking out of the national tournament because we ended up playing like four games in eight days, and that was like the first one of that stretch because we had some snow outs. Um, It was just a knockdown drag out. Then we got some guys sick, tired, you know. We ended up losing down at Dana. Um, I think we lost. We ended up winning at Midland, had to come back late. Uh, but we ended up losing, like, five of the next seven games after that. And I think if we won that, would have propelled us. Instead, we lost and it kind of kept us out right of the national tournament that year. We ended up losing in the conference championship game and
0: weren't ranked high enough to get into the, the national tournament. Well, There's so many matchups in this conference that feel like rivalries. Mm-hmm. I mean, even just for Briarcliff, Morningside's obviously a rivalry game. Northwestern's a rivalry game. Dort feels like a rivalry game when they're playing well and we're playing well. Uh, obviously, Northwestern and Dort, but you know, just speaking for for uh, Briarcliff here, I think that just says a lot about this conference and how competitive it is. Yeah, you know, top to bottom, that every game just feels like a huge game.
2: Well, well and there's so many good teams, yeah. so it, you know, every road environment's really tough. Every team you play is really tough. Um, I know when I first started coaching here, I'd come from Northwestern. I've been at South Ham six years. I. I come back I start coaching um I, I guess you don't realize from the other perspective how big some of those games are you know at Northwestern knew Briarcliff was a big game but you didn't know it was that big of a game to them mm-hmm. you know um and for me the Dort game was the big one right um for uh, three years I coached um we played Briar our Dort six times and every time I made sure to wear a red tie like <laughs> I wasn't I was going to Dort I was wearing some red um to make sure that they knew my allegiance like I can remember Coach Schultz and uh, Coach Schultz was talking about, you know, Coach Nackey used to really get, you could tell it was Northwestern week because Coach Nackey, he'd be all amped up. He goes, yeah, you know, you and Coach Barry weren't quite as amped up from Northwestern. He goes, then we played Dort, and all of a sudden, oh man, Coach Wright's at another level right now. <laughs> like, Coach Wright really wants to yeah. beat Dort. Um, but I think it speaks to, you know, there's such great teams. And, um, it's changed so much that I think the recruiting's changed a lot. So now you're recruiting the same kids. Mm-hmm. You know, Morningside used to be Division II. Um, you know, Dort at one time basically only recruited the Christian Reform kids. They've really, you know, Ross Dauman now, Van uh, Hafton, they've recruited all over Iowa now. Uh, Cliff at that time would kind of recruit the Diocesan kids and had the Panama connection. Northwestern was kind of getting all the guys out of Northwest Iowa, and that's really changed. So now you're on the road recruiting those same kids. So now there's even more. You know, I went to that school instead of this school, so there's that rivalry there, and everybody knows all those kids from high school. Mm-hmm. There's built-in rivalries from high school, and now you're playing them again in college. Um, I think it just just adds to it. So, but I think it speaks to the level of basketball because mm-hmm. all those teams you mentioned are really, really good. Yeah, yeah, and, and
1: I think. You know, looking at, at the, the schools, I think we have big rivalries with. You talk Morningside, Northwestern, Dort, dakota Wesleyan. I think there's another common denominator in there, and, and Jay kind of alluded to it, is, is the success we've all had. You know, All of us in the ha- last handful of years have been to national tournaments, won GPAC championships, and, and I think, again, I go back to when you play in games like that that have a lot on the line, that have a lot of meaning, b- rivalries are going to blossom. You know, and, and Jay said it too. A lot of the players in our league know each other. They grew up playing against each other, whether it was high school, as big as AAU is now, they've all played against each other. They all know each other on social media. And I think it makes it a little more intimate. And I think that lends itself to good rivalries.
0: And even looking at what Jay is wearing here <laughs> uh, as we're recording this. So he's got a, a Bradcliffe uh, t shirt on, yeah. Yeah. but. Over top of it, he's got a red, white, and black Northwestern College jacket. I can't see the brand, but it reminds me of one of those old starters. Yeah, it, it looks jackets. like a starter jacket. It, it
2: actually, I don't know what the brand's powers, I think. It's more like the Apex. I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember Apex. Like the Dallas Cowboys were Apex. The Iowa Hawkeyes in the most glorious uniforms of all time with the wings yeah. on their shirt. And they were Apex uniforms, and they were glorious. Tim I uh, those were the best uniforms I was ever had. in um, Apex, this is kind of like the Apex. But I brought it out because this is probably the only thing that Coach Barry ever ordered us that was really cool. Um, <laughs> we, you know, we got, like, travel gear. When I coached with Coach Barry, you get like, oh, I just got some shirt and got Barcliff on or whatever. Um, like, this is, like, the coolest thing he ever got. So I had to bust this out. Um, this was, like, the... The greatest thing ever to get the Northwestern travel gear jacket that was actually pretty cool. So um, and I, even, I even brought out my uh, shoes from my senior year of uh, college. I only bust <laughs> these out for special occasions. They're the Jordan 13s, which are the greatest Jordans. Um, so I busted those out, too. We only wear those for special occasions, and I thought uh, being on the podcast certainly merited busting out the
3: Jordan 13s. So I, I do have to ask, you do realize that the podcast does not have a video feed, correct? <laughs> <laughs> this was more for the, uh, the audience in studio.
2: As he
1: likes well, and, and anybody who knows... If you don't know what the Jordan 13 is, you just don't
2: know.
0: <laughs>
2: if you don't know what the Jordan 13s are, we can't be friends. So that's just what it amounts to.
0: And, and another thing, too, you graciously brought in some, uh, some lunch, some late lunch or pre-dinner. I don't know what we want to call it. But you walked into, uh, into the office today with a, a big brown paper bag, and you started unloading Styrofoam carryout containers. Uh, full of of delicious wings uh, ribs we had some roasted chicken (laughs) Uh, so we appreciate the gift here but it it sounds to me like there's maybe an underlying reason why you brought that in today well well, as as
2: you know I'm an avid listener to the podcast I know it was was episode one maybe episode two the question came up about um, top places to eat in Sioux City for Coach Figuera. Probably is Mount Rushmore of places to eat. I know he likes the Mount Rushmore questions. Um, and I thought there was a gross oversight. Um, I thought we had to write some wrongs today. Um, so we brought in some uh, Sneaky's Chicken. Um, apparently, you just went with the places on Hamilton Boulevard. that were close. Um, but, you know, if we're using the whole city, um, I think Sneaky's Chicken's got to be in the uh, in the conversation. So I wanted to make sure we righted that wrong and got you some of the good stuff today. Well,
1: you're right. I My my mount rushmore so to speak is very hamilton boulevard based because i you know i live on this side of town briar cliff's obviously on this side of town and and yeah we'll call it an oversight on sneakies and, and here's what i've learned about sneakies over the years uh they're known for their broasted chicken their wings are the real deal and what i learned today that i'd never had before their ribs are no joke like that's a great place to go for ribs you don't think of that with sneakies but i'm going to go on record right now and recommend sneaky's barbecue ribs
3: and i I just have to add in any place that has a fair price lunch buffet is a-okay in my book and i have been known to not be afraid to drive across town for the sneaky's buffet
2: and and don't forget the five dollar burger at lunch um five dollars burger fries and a drink at lunch i feel like i'm a walking billboard for sneaky's right now but this is making my wife happy so it's about happy wife happy life right um but uh it's great i mean Great food,
0: great price, can't beat it. That's right. Yeah, and that was that was an oversight on our part. So <laughs> oh, it's uh, oversight, on Mar-
2: Coach Figuer. Let's just blame him.
0: Yep. <laughs> so anyone who's listening to this, uh, do us a favor, do Jay a favor, do Sneaky yes. a favor. Try to get over there for lunch uh, or dinner sometime this week, and they do do some catering too.
2: They, they do a lot of catering. Um, okay. In fact, I think I think my wife told me they're booked with weddings until January of 2020. Oh wow! Like almost every weekend, they have something until January of 2020. Some of those smaller, bigger, um, but yeah, they caterings their they're big. Uh, I say big business. Um, they love it. They do a great job. Um, they don't take me with them anymore. Apparently, I was <laughs> so bad at it that they said, uh, "You just go ahead and stay home with the kids." Okay.
3: Is there is there any way we could get a schedule of where those weddings are at in case we <laughs> want to do some wedding crashing? Wedding we crashing? Know where to go? <laughs> so
2: you guys go wedding crashing? Um, I'm just curious, who's the Chaz Reinhold of this group. I um, just, just want to know where... Uh, <laughs> that, that's
0: definitely Gall, if it's anybody. <laughs> <laughs> this
2: is Mom Cook Meatloaf.
0: <laughs> My wife cooked meatloaf about a week ago. She makes a <laughs> wonderful meatloaf.
1: <laughs> Alright, so, so back to a little bit of basketball here. Um, Jay, obviously you've been on both sides of this rivalry and, and something that, that I've done myself, and it's kind of an awkward, weird thing, what was it like for you the first time you coached a game at Northwestern on the opposition?
2: This is no joke. Um, we we went in like at halftime, and I walked to the wrong locker room. That is no joke. Like I came out and just started walking to the. Um, I'm like, oh yeah, hey, Coach Corver, I gotta go down here. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, it just out of habit because that's just what you had done for, for four years. You'd gone down to that locker room there, and oh yeah, we're on the other end now. So, um, but it was really, and I think it's weird and it's also cool because there's all these people that you knew from, you know, Doug Brook doing the radio for Northwestern Games to, um, you know, Mulder, who's the announcer, the PA guy. You know, so he sees you shaking your hand. But now you're on the other side, like you really want to be – and they were fantastically good. Um, that's when they had Skydeman, um, DeYoung, Jilling, Schilling. Schilling, I uh, They were – I mean, that team was just outstanding. Uh, so when we came, they were – I mean, that was the that was the bar that – Was set in the conference that that's who you had to get to. That you had to start recruiting guys that were as good as them. Um, So when you went and played them, you're like, you know, you wanted to beat them worse than anything and show that you belonged. But you also knew that, hey, these are all people that I. You know, it was just a weird feeling because there's all these close relationships you built over the years. And, you know, guys you played with who were come back to watch a game, but they're not cheering for you now. They're, you know, like, hey, you were my teammate at one time. Well, (laughs) you crossed the line, man. Once you cross the Rubicon, there's no coming back.
1: Well, and and you're right, too, with, you know, the time you were at Briarcliff coincided with a couple of the years I was playing at Dana. And uh, I'm sure I never even made the scouting reports for Briarcliff at the time. (laughs) Um, And if I did, it probably just said shooter and not much else. But, um, you know, you're right with – Northwestern really was the standard at the time, and they were so good. And, and when you beat them, you know, it was like you kind of arrived or you thought you'd arrived. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just interesting how the, the league has, has evolved and changed. And I think they're responsible for a lot of that because they were so dominant for a long
0: time. Speaking of Kurt Schilling too, so uh, going back to my high school playing days, my freshman year at Spalding, we went up to Ellsworth, Minnesota, and played, and that was his freshman year, so it was the big Gall versus Schilling matchup, and of course he started the game, and I think had fifteen or twenty points, and of course I came off the bench with two minutes left when we were up by twenty, and I think and I scored. had four free throws, I had four points, um, but I, I did, uh, I did beat Schilling in the in the big Gall versus Schilling matchup. So
1: how how much? Do you attribute your four for four from the line to your coaching at Northwestern basketball camp?
0: You know, the, those happened well before. <laughs> he, he was um, a good real, free
2: throw shooter, and I turned him right around.
0: Yeah, I think I got a beat. All great coaches that. do that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get to the line too much in that camp, uh, standing on the sideline. But uh, he was
2: setting screens. That was.
0: Right. <laughs> So we gotta hit you up here with some lightning round questions, as is our tradition uh, with with guests who come on the show. Um, and so there's a few usuals that we ask. You said you listened, so you probably know what's coming, but we'll try to catch you off guard with one or two here. But I gotta ask the staples, just because I think it's important. Uh, what's your favorite basketball movie?
2: Well, it's been well established that Hoosiers is. Who Hoos- you can say Hoosiers is the best basketball movie. Hoosiers is the best movie. We don't even have to put it in the basketball category. But I know that that's not the answer you can bring, so you got to say, what's your second favorite basketball movie? Um, and there's actually s- some great ones out there. Um you know, uh, if you got kids, The Pistol: Birth of a Legend. Shout out to Bill Mueller, who I coach with at South Hamlin, put me onto that movie. Uh, my kids love that one. Um, they actually have Pistol Pete shirts now because they love Pistol Pete from that movie. Um, if you got daughters, The Mighty Max. Not sure anybody have seen that one. It's a great movie about the first women's team um, at Immaculata College out in Philadelphia. A great movie. My kids like that one. So there's some there's some good sneaky ones out there. Um, but I'm I'm a history guy. Um, I love history. Um, I love basketball. And uh, one of my favorite books of all time: Loose Balls. Um, about the ABA. I love studying about the ABA. My favorite team of all time, the Spirits of St. Louis. If you read about uh, Bad News Barnes, Marvin Barnes on the Spirits of St. Louis. Um, So clearly my favorite basketball movie other than Hoosiers has got to be semi-pro. Because it hits all those things. And everybody, some people like with semi are like, well, that's just bizarre. I'm like, no, that stuff actually really happened in the ABA. Like, there really was Dime Beer Night. And there really was like, you know, all this crazy stuff. You know, guys jumping over cheerleaders. And like, that stuff really was going on in the ABA. And so um, I thought that movie really captured that and really also made it incredibly funny. Um, I'm waiting for the halftime shot to be sponsored by Bush Bavarian. Um, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, uh, my three-year-old hit a shot at halftime the other day. what was that, the Concordia game? Had a little help from a really dirty hippie named Jared Betts. Out on the floor helped him, and he hit a shot. He got $2. I was really hoping he got his $2 in a really big check written in glitter. Um, that is what I was hoping for. Um, instead, he just got $2 cash, and I guess that was okay. But uh, semi pros got to be, um, you're talking favorite. It doesn't have to be the best, just the favorite. So I don't know if you ever thought about trading your washing machine for a point guard. But if you have, I mean, you need, a, you need that washing machine. But if you need a point guard, you do what you got to do. I will always take
1: a good point guard over clean clothes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> any day, any day. What was your most memorable Briarcliff game when you were coaching here? Whoa, that's a big question.
2: Um, I will, I will actually take you to. Um, I think this was my first year. I know it was my first year because I, I, I drove separate because I had to go to grad finishing grad school um, at Drake in Des Moines on weekends. So I would I left and came back for the game, then had to go. I mean, it's kind of one of those deals. So I remember leaving after the game separate. Um, but we had to go down. And that was back when they took eight teams to conference term. I think there was 12 teams in the conference back then. And they took eight into the conference tournament. So it was a big deal to get into that conference tournament. Remember, we had just lost at Dakota Wesleyan. Um, and I remember coming back and like Jerry Mo- Jeremy Moses, uh, uh, Joe Nelson were in the car. Like, what do we got to do to make it? And I'm like, well, we just got to win. Like, just win and let it take- it'll take care of itself. Um, so two wins in that stretch. And the one that I really probably remember the most, we went down to Doan. Didn't have Martez or Van Buren playing that night. Um, so we played Neil Roy at point guard as a freshman. And Doan had a really good team. And at Doan, and Doan's fixed their – it's better down there. They got a black court. But back then you played in this big, huge, multi-purpose facility. The bleachers were about 20 yards from the court. So they set up chairs right around the court, and all the fraternity guys would sit right at your end of the bench. And just – I mean, Dallas Corville was going to get in a fight with one of the guys, <laughs> the whole bit. But we go down there and win that game. Um, and then we end up coming back here and beating Dort. Which, and basically, we were going to be in or Dort was going to be in. And whoever was going to be in was going to be like the sixth seed, and who loser was going to be out. Yeah. It was just that close in the conference. Um, I remember winning that game down at uh, Doan. Neil Roy played great. Um, other Everybody else kind of stepped up. But like I said, we kind of patchworked together the point guard position. Could have traded that washing machine for point guard that night. Um, but that one was one of those wins that I just will always stick in my head as. as we can. And I'll even throw another one out there. Um, my third year, we got blasted by Morningside here. Or maybe it's my second year. They just blasted us. They had uh, uh, Schmidt, was the uh, leading scorer. He was playing then. They had some great shooters. Two big guys were just bruisers. And they beat us and beat us up. And then we went over there, and I taught Coach Coach, we got to throw a triangle and two at him. So we practiced trying. Coach Barry loved the triangle and two, man. I saw him win some sub state finals in high school with the triangle and two. He loved the triangle and two. So he comes out and we. We work on it, kind of sneaking into practice, knowing full well we're putting it in for kind of a week or two ahead. And we go over there, and uh, Coach Barry was on his on his game. We go man, we switch triangle two, Then we go inverted triangle two. Um, end up beating it by eight or ten at Morningside, um, which was huge because like I said, they just hammered us here. And went over there and threw the old triangle in two. And I know Coach Barry loved the triangle in two. so that was one of my proud moments as a coach of uh, convincing Coach to change it up for that Morningside game. Well,
1: I'm gonna go back to the first one you brought up because I. Inadvertently was a part of that whole logjam of teams in the like six to nine yeah. in the conference that year, and, and I remember uh, when you guys beat Dort, it was the it was the last Saturday of the regular season, and we had randomly played on Friday. I don't know why, but we had beat Don on Friday night, and we knew we were going to be in with that win, and we could we could be anywhere six, seven, or eight. And I just remember we were rooting so hard for Dort to win that game <laughs> because we would end up being the sixth seed which obviously we wanted to be in the best spot we could. And I remember we were all pretty perturbed with, uh, with Briarcliff getting that win. It knocked us to the eighth seed, and we had to go to Northwestern to, to start the conference tournament. But I actually remember that really well.
2: And I think we played Morningside. I think We had to go to Morningside is who our conference tournament opponent was. Um, it, back in those days, it didn't really matter. You, you got in the tournament, you were going to play somebody good. It didn't really matter who you played. It was You were going to be up against it no matter what. So, and I will say too, uh, this is, I, I'm going off the rails, but I think we can do that on this podcast. <laughs> it's funny how you remember things. I will never forget that the part of the reason that Dort game sticks in my head that last day and only a college coach kind of understands this. We'd been recruiting a kid out of old Gorman really, really hard. And I remember getting done with the game and I left right afterwards to go to old Gorman and watch him play. And then he, he I mean, he really liked us. We were really like him, he gets an offer from Mankato state late and he goes there. And I remember just being, it's one of those things that sticks in your head of, we won that game. I left right away. Didn't get to celebrate and, you know, you know me. I wanted to celebrate that door win like crazy. Um, <laughs> instead, I'm up there and then you lose that recruit. And as you know, that was one of those things that was really hard. You get better at it as you get older, but losing a recruit that you spent a bunch of time on and that was like, you know, it was just almost deflating, you know. The, the, the recruiting losses always seem to stick out more than the recruiting win. The big losses you have as a coach always re- stick to you longer than the big wins. So I, I always remember that because that was my day. Went up there and. Lost a recruit. Great job, but we beat Dort. So, you know, <laughs> you even go. Steven.
0: Yeah. So co- you, you know, you've obviously played in the college game. You're currently coaching at the high school level. You've coached at the college level. Your profession involves mentoring. You know, kids who are, are in school up through high school. Yeah. Uh, what's what's a piece of advice you would give? Uh, to any, you know, any high school kid right now who's evaluating you know, where they want to ultimately go to school to play ball or otherwise. Well, I think a big part of it has got to be what do you want to – some people go
2: – college basketball is a short thing. If you want to be a, whatever, a doctor, go to the best place can help you be a doctor. You know, um, and maybe basketball is not a part of that. Um, I know for me, I wanted to be an architect when I was in high school. That's what I thought I wanted to do. And then all of a sudden I realized I, I want to coach basketball. Well, going to Iowa State or Nebraska, where I looked at for architecture, that made no sense when I wanted to be a teacher and a coach. So find the right fit for what you want to do What do you see as your future? I think some kids say, well, I want to go just there to play basketball, just there for my. It's amazing, and you know this from recruiting. I've recruited several kids just because their girlfriend came to Briarcliff. And I got him to come like, yeah, he's coming to Briarcliff. How'd you recruit him? His girlfriend came here, made it really easy, right? But don't go somewhere because your girlfriend goes there. Don't go somewhere because that's where mom and dad want you to go. What is it that you want to do for a career and find the right fit to get you on that right path? Um, And then you know, if you're talking specifically basketball, the four years I played basketball are, are uh, friendships you have, people that are in your wedding, um, people that you will be associated with the rest of your life from those experiences. Um, I can't say that, you will not regret playing basketball. And uh, the NAIA level is so good. The GPAC so good. Um, you have to be so good to play. And I think some kids kind of go, ah, it's NAIA. You know, it's such a talented level. If you're not good enough to play Division 2 you're probably not going to be a superstar at the NAIA level. And that's just how it is. And people don't understand that. But um, I went and I was, like I said, I was the 13th guy on the end of the bench. I had a rule. Nobody could sit to the right of me on the bench. I had to be the closest to the water coolers. That was just my role. I got into foul late in games. Um, and yet I love going to practice. I love being there every day. I love doing the drills. I, going over scouting reports. I got to, he coach would always let me be the scout team coordinator, basically. So I'd take the scout team guys. And whoever the other team's best player was, that's who I was in practice. So I got to beat Kip Kissinger when we played Nebraska Wesleyan, who's now a – he had refereed in the Final Four last year, um, but I was always him in practice cause I could shoot it every time I touched it. So I would just – I mean, I would always take whatever guy was shooting it all the time, and that's who I was in practice, unless it was a five-man. Otherwise – I was a shooter. Um, But it's that kind of stuff that you have memories of. So if you're thinking, hey, I want to go play basketball, go do it, because it's memories you're going to have forever. Um, There's not a day that goes by that something that I didn't do from college basketball hasn't paid off for me in some way, Mm -hmm. including basically every job I've gotten, because somebody I know has gotten me that job through a connection somewhere. Oh, I know you from here. And that's what gets you Mm -hmm. to where you're at. So a couple follow-up
1: questions. First, this is way off topic. But when you wanted to be an architect, were you channeling your inner George Costanza? (laughs)
2: Um, I was hoping to start um, Vandalay Enterprises, um, being an architect. I also, I was debating of whether or not to be a marine biologist. That did cross my mind. Um, but turns out I just ended up being a latex salesman, and that's just kind of how it worked out. You know what I
1: found over my eight years in Sioux City, Coach Wright, is you and I are kind of on the same grid when it comes to humor yes. and movies and, and a lot of things. Um, and so now that, that was my joke question, my serious question, and, and you've mentioned him a couple times, and it's, it's somebody that I hold in the utmost regard, and that's Coach Barry, um, and, and you played for him at Northwestern, you coached with him at Briarcliff, I mean, I, I think he's one of the best human beings I've ever met in my life, what has he meant to your life?
2: Well, I don't know how much time we got left on this podcast, but this might take it up, but... Um, you know, I, when I do trainings for teammates, um, I go around and you know, I always kind of ask who's somebody that mentored you. And I always talk about Coach Barry. And I say, um, for me, Coach Barry is still the voice in my head. And when I'm having a conversation or I'm working through an issue or I'm saying, how do I do this? He's the voice in my head. And I'm not talking like a scouting report for basketball. I'm talking like major life decisions. You know, should I take a new job, whatever. Um, and that's, you know, um, when I got my job at Southampton, I'm graduating from. I talked to Coach Barry, hey, I got this job opportunity at Southampton. He calls down to this Jim Marsh who'd been the longtime coach at Southampton says, Hey, I got a guy coming down there to interview. So he goes in and talks to the superintendent who knew me through my dad, long story there, but um I get interviewed and get the job um there. Um then when I'm looking to, you know, Coach Barry gets a job at Briar Cliff and I say, hey, I'm interested in maybe coming and be an assistant. I had family this side of the state, you know. I get that job here. Um, when I think about, hey, I'm going to go work for teammates, or I stayed here, whatever. Who who do I call? I call Coach Barry because he, you know, family's always biased, right? Like you get, you know, dad just wants to make sure you're financially secure. Mom just wants you to be close to home. Like they don't really, you know, um, you want somebody else. And so I called Coach, and he was on vacation in Florida. He's like, oh, no problem. He talked to me for like an hour. He doesn't say this is what you should do or this is what you should. He just talked me through. Well, what do you think about this? Well, how about this? Have you done this? Well, think about this. And he just works you through it in your mind to the point where you go, okay, I, you know what I mean? Um, so he's still that voice in my head. He's still that guy that I call, and it's an um, interesting story. So I'm working for teammates, and um, Tom Osborne, obviously really started teammates, and he'll go around and do some speaking. Well, I to be with him one time, um, and he was on the phone, and um, my God, Coach Osborne, we got to get into this meeting, right? And he's on the phone. He goes, and finally he gets off the phone, and after this meeting, he goes, hey, sorry about that. That was Scott Frost calling, you know. Um, you're like, oh, well, that's probably an important call you had to take. Like, you probably, you know, um, but what you realize is that's – that's the same relationship that I, you know, I call Coach Barry. That's who I, you probably talk to your college coach. You, you know, that's who you spend your time with and who you, you know, just molds and shapes all your things you decide. Um, that's who you call for advice. And I realized it was the same thing, just on a way higher level that people know about nation. But it was the same thing. Mm-hmm. Here was a, you know, here's Scott Frost calling his old coach. And it's kind of the same thing. And here I am, you know, I'll still call Coach Barry. Um, you know, every once in a while, I have lunch with them, whatever else. But uh, I was really blessed. Um, my high school coach is in the Hall of Fame, um, the Iowa High School Athletic Association Hall of Fame. Coach Barry, who I obviously played for, coached with, is in the Iowa High School Athletic Association Hall of Fame. Uh, probably should be the NAI Hall of Fame for his, his work at Northwestern and Briarcliff. Um, but it's always – the thing that always stuck out to me about Coach Barry is he would always um, – he could always look at – you get a tough issue, he could always filter through the clutter and make the right decision. Well, not the easy one he made the right one and there was times like yeah we can do this and get away with it and nobody will know but you never did that mm-hmm. he always did i mean he was able to just sort everything out and well this is the right thing to do so we're going to do it and i i try to do that today and have that voice in my head if him tell me this is what's right and not um i don't know if i always <laughs> succeed in that but um like i said he's still that guy that you still just i coach like he coached i still say gosh dang it all the time and god darn it and <laughs> um things like that but um yeah he's he's been a pretty important part of my life so Awesome. And I, I
1: was going to ask you to do maybe a quick impersonation. You know, and I don't know if you have any of me. You probably have a lot of good Coach Berries, but I I know that the best Coach Berry impersonation can't be done on a podcast because
2: it involves some some actions
1: with uh, with a half-squat clap. <laughs>
2: the half-squat clap and the uh, goss dangits. You've heard a few goss dangits. And Coach Berry, so the best thing about playing with and coaching with Coach Berry is Coach Berry can never pronounce names. Yeah. Um, There was a Teixeira that played for Hastings. He just called him dyslexia (laughs) for four years. And the worst year ever was, um, I was a student coach this year with Coach Barry. And Midland had four guys whose last name started with S. Simmons, Simons, Selk, and Solomon. And we had no idea what he was talking about halfway through. You had no, Coach, that's Simmons, not Simons. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah." Um, So when I actually started coaching with Coach here, I'm like, Coach, in scout reports, we need to go with numbers. Instead of saying, hey, that's Selk, that's Simons, that's Simmons, you go, know, that's number 12, that's number 14, that's number 22. And it really, I think, revolutionized Coach Barry's coaching because we'd have no idea what he was talking about in games. Uh, there was a Bojansky who played at Midland, coach called him Bojangles for four years. Um, my apologies to all these people out here listening to the podcast who uh, have their names. Not pronounced correctly, but and it was always a tough deal because you have recruits coming. Like coach, the recruit's name is actually this. Don't say the recruit's name wrong when he's actually here. Make sure you get it right. Um, so he was he was great with faces, great with people. Um, he's also the best I've ever seen. You could walk up. Um, I've seen him several times walk up. He didn't know who he was talking to. He could always ask like five questions. And then he knew who he was talking to. He'd be like, how's the family? And like, well, they're back at wherever. Like, then you would know who it was he was talking to.
3: He was brilliant at it. So, um, But he wasn't great with names. What, what would be your best guess on what would come out of his mouth trying to say Coach Figueroa's name? Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. Coach, uh, oh, boy. I don't know how we'd even get that one. <laughs> He'd probably say, "Mark." Uh, let's be
2: honest. Coach Figueroa probably wasn't on the scouting report, so I don't think we had to worry about it. And he probably, and you had what he put on the scouting report. Coach Barry was always like, uh, "Just I uh, got to keep him off the boards, and we can we'll be okay." So if you were a kid that wasn't going to play, he'd say, "Keep him off the boards, and we'll be fine." That was always, and that was like, if you had that on the scouting report, I might go look and see if I got old scout reports of Dana to see if we got a Mark Figueroa on a scouting report. But it would have been, it would have been, not good. It, he would not have gotten it right. I guarantee you that.
1: And I have to give Coach Barry some credit because this is something that uh, Nick Nelson and I talked about, that, that Coach was more of a number guy than a name guy. Well, Nick and I are both big name guys. And, and with the last name Faguera, I'm pretty sensitive to pronunciating names correctly. Um, you know. And if I don't know it, I'm going to try to figure it out. So I, you know, I just don't like to butcher people's names. Coach Barry can nail Svigara now. <laughs> I don't know that he could when I first started here as an assistant. Um, But absolutely he can now I I saw him just a couple months ago before he went on vacation And and he nailed it So
2: there's that He didn't go with just Mark He did not
1: (laughs) So Coach Wright being that I was a longtime assistant Before I took over as a head coach here at Briarcliff I was always kind of observing What other assistants did In games on the bench and, And you were always a little bit of an outlier And I don't know if you still do it But for a long time there You sat at the end of the bench You were away from all the other coaches What was the rationale and reasoning for doing that?
2: Well, the reason, so I was the, I was the sophomore coach. Well, Coach Betts at helen had two guys with him all the time. Uh, you know what I mean? He didn't need me sitting right there. And at some point, you have too many people in the head coach's ear. So I thought two things. I can sit down the bench a ways. Number one, you kind of want to coach the body language of the guys on the end of the bench. You get guys, I always had a contest. If anybody could high-five a sub coming out of the game before me, I bought him a Gatorade. And believe me, I hopped up right away. But it got those guys up into the game, right? So, and if, if somebody comes out and they're mad and angry, okay, sit right by me. We're going to talk. To so it was a way to, because the coaches on the bench are removed from that. So there was just kind of a, kind of a way to kind of say corral kids, keep them up, make sure the guys on the bench, are, you know, hey, you could get in a little bit. You're going to have to go in and foul. We want you to foul number 22, and you, you can tell them that ahead of time. So that was part of it. Then the other part was I felt like by not being there all the time and you're in on every play and we should run this and do this. I could really look at things, and then I could come in at halftime and say, hey, I'm observing this, and you know what? We're not doing a very good job of closing out on skip passes, whatever it was. that They're missing, so I like just the distance from it. And now I'm now the varsity season, so I moved up and sit. And we actually tried something new this year where we got the coaches sitting in the middle, bigs on one end and guards on the okay. other, and we're trying something different that way just to uh,
1: try new things. And let's throw one more little side benefit of sitting down at the end of the bench. You could probably be just an
2: absolute sniper with the officials. <laughs> um. I have. I don't know if you had this as an assistant coach. I've had some stern talking to's by officials. Uh, coach Geary and I, Bob Geary and I, were been the assistant coaches. We were really good at like knowing when we got the look or we got the that's enough from you two. Okay, we like knew where the line was for the two of us to stop. Uh, but I, I more than once had been yelled at and got a gas dang it coach right you shut your mouth from Coach Barry. Um, I had that more than once. Um, uh, you talk GPAC officials and. They were so great because they, they could take it from me. But I always said, there was one guy who was great, and I can't remember. But he was a great official. And he, in fact, I think the best one in the conference. And he was walking away. He goes, You know, I'll let him yell at me. But if you yell at me again, I'm going to tee you up. And I don't think coach would like that. I'm like, No, no, he wouldn't. He goes, Okay, we're good then. Yeah, yeah. And I was fine the rest of the game. But uh, I, um, I've been, to- Coach Betts has had to talk to me a time or two as well. I've had that talking to from, uh, from down the bench ways. Yep, I, I've been on the same side
1: of that, and and a lot of times with with Coach Nelson, it was just a real quick. Mark, just relax.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I knew the look from Coach Barry. I didn't have to have many words said. Gosh, dang it! Nope, sorry, Coach. That's on me. My bad. All right. So one other
1: question, and this is something we need to discuss. I think. Um, you share a name with a pretty famous basketball coach. Not that you're not famous in your own regard, but, uh, you know, Jay Wright at Villanova obviously won a couple national titles, has things rolling there. Um, talk about that. Have you ever been mistaken? Have you ever been confused? Have you ever met Jay Wright? I think you have, actually, yep. if I'm not mistaken.
2: So, so there's, there's about three good stories with this. So the first one, I'm teaching at Southampton. This is like in 2000, 2001, and I would always put a bunch of basketball pictures on the door of my classroom. Um, so I just covered the door with college basketball stuff. And one year Dick Vitale's Preview Magazine lists up-and-coming coaches. And one of his five up-and-coming coaches is Jay Wright from Hofstra. Well, I edited out the Hofstra, cut it out, and I put it up there. And I have these seventh-grade boys. Like, Dick Vitale knows who you are. And I'm like, yeah, Dick Vitale, I'm an up-and-coming coach. I mean, I had it highlighted. I'm like, I don't know tell you. he knows who I am. And I'm coaching, like, freshman basketball in Jewel, Iowa, right? Like, clearly it's not me. Um, but the 2007 Final Four, and Coach Schultz can give you some, some great details on this. Coach Schultz at the 2007 Final Four was basically my uh, PR guy. Um, so we go and check in at the Final Four, and the lady checking since says, sees there's two Jay Wrights. She's like, well, you better not be impersonating the other Jay Wright. And I was like, well, is he impersonating me? Like, is there gonna be trouble for that? Um, she did not find that nearly as humorous as I did. Um, but she gives me the right act, but you cannot act like him, because apparently they'd had this, somebody tried to be some other division one coach before. I'm like, no, I'm like, here's my ID. My name is Jay Wright, I, I, I don't wanna tell ya. Um, so we go and you know from the final four where do you usually stay you're far away from downtown right you're far away well that year in atlanta we are in the downtown omni hotel and in that hotel i mean it's bob huggins bill self it is every coach you could think of is in that hotel and coach barry's like i don't know how we got this motel this is fantastic he's like i, I don't know what because it must be just luck of the draw but I mean, we are you're in an elevator there's at least four guys who are major high d1 coaches in the elevator it's fantastic um So we start getting calls to the room. And it's like, hey, we'd like to interview Jay Wright. He's our, you know, (laughs) Philadelphia Athletic Club Coach of the Year. I'm like, well, I don't, if you want to talk about a little Catholic school in Sioux City, Jay Wright's your guy. But if not, you got the wrong room. So we keep getting these calls. There's a guy doing a radio show from the hotel lobby. And he calls up from Coach Barry, goes down and tells him, hey, gosh dang it, I got a guy that I can have come interview you. Guy, he'd love to talk to you. Well, they didn't put me on, shockingly, but Coach tried to swing it. but the whole weekend we're in this, I mean, the best hotel getting all these calls. So at some point I get this letter. I'm like, I think we have a message. You got a letter down in the lobby. I go down. Well, it's from the NABC. You need to go to the Expo Center by the Georgia Dome, because you're gonna sign autographs for kids and all that. So I got this letter. We're gonna pick you up in a limo at this time in the front of the motel. So I'm like, I gotta get somebody I gotta get this to Jay right. So I'm trying everything I can. Like I go to the NABC, they're like not helping me out. I'm trying to get to the um, hotel lobby. Can you get this to the other Jay Wright? Like it's not me. Um, Coach Barry desperately wanted me to go to sign autographs. <laughs> I'm like, but I've just been read the Wright Act, but I can't impersonate him, <laughs> so I don't impersonate him. Uh, but I saved the letter, so I still have the letter at home awesome. telling me that they're requesting autographs with me at the 2007 uh, Final Four. So, That's and then an you ask story. if I did meet him. So they joined the Big e- or Creighton joins the Big East. It all changes, and I happen to mention. And my in-laws, when this all goes down, I mentioned my in-laws. God, that'd be, I'm going to the Creighton Villanova game next year. I'm getting my picture with Jay Wright. So I just kind of offhandedly said that. Don't think about it. Well, my father-in-law um, had known Jeff Vandaloo, who's the um, director of basketball operations at Creighton. He was a long time, big time supporter of Sneaky's Chick, and still eats his Sneaky's when he comes back. So, um, but he, so my father-in-law knew um, Jeff really well. So he calls Jeff, says, "How can I make this happen?" And Jeff says, "What? Well, you need to call the Villanova." basketball offices here's the guy to call here's the number he goes I'll let him know you're calling whatever so they get I mean so my final goes back and forth so I got a signed ball whatever else from Jay Wright but then after the game um, he comes down and meets us after the game and that was the day when Doug McDermott I think moved ahead of Larry Bird on the all-time scoring list and Villanova got beat like a drum that day got crushed I mean so I'm like hey we don't need to see Jay Wright today they just got hammered Um, So, no, the guy comes out, the bath ops guy from Villanova comes out. Nope, he'll be out. No worries. Just wait a little bit. No problem. He comes out, and he was like – and college coaches have to do this. You've had to do this, I'm sure, a time or two. You've got to recruit in the building. You suffer. you better turn it on pretty quick. You go from being mad and angry to, hey, how you doing? Good to see you, right? And he came out, could not have been friendlier. Um, actually talked to my wife way more than me. Um, won her over. It's like you hate it when people say you married Mr. Wright, don't you? My wife hates it. So he schmoozed her, won her over, but he could not have been better. Um, so still on Twitter, it's my still on my um, profile on Twitter, on my background pick of me, my wife, and uh, the less – good looking the poorer dressed jay Wright is also in there so um so a few good jay Wright stories um and every year when they win the final four i'll get a whole bunch of messages congratulations on
0: your championship and i just say thank you very much it's awesome so uh yeah well jay thanks for coming on it's awesome to have you and good luck uh with your season over at Healing and, and good luck with everything with teammates
2: well hey thanks a bunch this podcast by far you said the best podcast in nai basketball it's the be-
0: best podcast in basketball bar none you guys are killing it so keep up the great work appreciate it OK, so we're going to turn it over real quick to uh, our shout out section. And I'm going to give my shout out to James Roatman, uh, the father of uh, basketball player Austin Roatman. He took me up on my recommendation up in Yankton this last week to uh, try Charlie's pizza. He tried the Festus. And uh, he treated me and my son to uh, our dinner that night as well. So appreciate
3: that, Mr. Roatman. That uh, was very nice to meet you. My shout out goes to the Briarcliff wrestling team, who just started G Pack play uh, against Dakota Wesleyan. Fifty-six zero on the wrestling mat. They, uh, granted, Dakota Wesleyan had some open weights where there were some forfeit victories, but every wrestler that stepped on the mat for Briar Cliff came away with a victory.
1: A whooping's a whooping.
3: <laughs> hey, and my shout out, you know, and I don't just say
1: this because he's sitting to my right right now, uh, but Jay Wright coming through with Sneaky's chicken. Um, whether that was a little bit of a, a backhanded compliment to me, um, whether it was whatever it was. What he's done is set the bar really high for for in-office guest of this podcast to bring food. So anybody coming in in the future, big shoes to fill coming up.
0: And uh, we had one uh, listener question, and this was actually a request for a follow-up from former basketball player Clayton Harold. Uh, He is referring to the episode last week where we talked to Ethan Friedel and uh, talked about the incident where Ethan got locked in the locker room and had to call his way out using his cell phone. And uh, Clayton has a pretty direct question for Coach Figuera. He says, so I guess the no cell phone rule doesn't apply to Ethan? Is that what's going on, Coach?
1: For years and years, we've had pretty strict rules about cell phones. And there's there's two places we don't want our guys on their cell phones. Number one is in our locker room. Um, and number two is when we're at a team meal together. You know, I'm, I'm big on guys communicating with each other face-to-face. Um, and it's just something we've done for, for years and years. And, and so... I'm pretty strict about it, especially in the locker room. Um, You know, I I just think that the locker room is a special place. It's a sacred place to a team, and that's – you know, I've told our sports media people before, I I don't want anything in our locker room. You know, they've asked to do videos before, games after games, and I just don't want it. I think that's a special thing amongst a team, and and cell phones can distract from that. And to answer Clay's question, um, you know – I guess Clayton, stuff happens sometimes, and and we weren't going to leave cheese in the locker room for that whole game. And so he was being resourceful and called himself out. So, yes, he had a one-time exemption from the rule because he was indeed locked in the locker room.
0: So there you go, the ultimate authority. Coach Figuera uh, has ruled, and that one was okay. Uh, I'm going to end this real quick with a hot take. Uh, now that Thanksgiving is over, it's officially okay to fire up the Christmas music, put up your Christmas trees and all that. Uh, I don't want to see that stuff next year before Thanksgiving, but obviously now that that is passed, it's good to go. And Thanksgiving was kind of a week early this year, so you have that extra week to enjoy all that. Well,
1: and, and you bring up Christmas music. That's something that's going to be discussed in coming weeks, I'm guessing.
0: All right, that's a good uh, preview for what's coming up. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Make sure to catch Briarcliff in action this Wednesday against Dakota Wesleyan here at the newman Flanagan center and then on saturday december 1st up in orange city against northwestern for the rest of the crew this is matt gall signing off we'll talk to you later